Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. For over 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been gathering together as what we call the church. But what's it all about? Why do we exist? How do we become a people that bring glory to God and good to the community in which we live? Over the centuries, we've been called many things, a mission, a hospital, a temple, a classroom, a family, a people who live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. This is what we're all about. This is where we belong. This is what we're called to be. This is us. Well, welcome. Hey, hey, you can clap for that. But don't think we're gonna close in prayer. We're not getting out of here that quick, all right? Uh, Really glad that you're here today. If you're joining us online, we are glad that you are with us as well. Today's a big day for us. We're kicking off um, our fall ministry season. There's a ministry connection fair in the courtyard. I'd encourage you to go out there right after our service. We have baptisms after this service and a family fun day. And so I just want to encourage you to stick around today. There's going to be some food and it is so encouraging for those who are getting baptized to have their church body surrounding them and encouraging them on this journey. Well, also today we are starting a new series that we're calling This Is Us. The idea for this series really was born a number of months ago when an elder in one of our elder meetings said, we need to teach people what it means to be the church. We need to do a series on what the church is. And so those months went by and that idea sort of just simmered in my soul. And uh, over the next seven weeks, we're really going to be unpacking the answer to that question. What does it mean to be the church? You know, when I first became the lead pastor here, um, the elders said we need to develop a 2030 vision because our 2020 vision was coming to an end. And I responded by saying to them, I don't even know my address yet. More or less where we're going in the next decade. And indeed, I had no idea what the next year would hold. I mean, um, uh, COVID wasn't a thing on the horizon at that point in time. And so would you agree that the last year has been a little bit chaotic? Well, during that time, though, our elders and staff have been listening. We've been talking with you, our congregation. We've been seeking the face of God, trying to listen to the Holy Spirit to ask the question, God, who are you calling us to become? What does it look like to be the church in Escondido that you are calling us to be? So we've listened and we've done some learning about the community that God has placed us in. And so over the next seven weeks, what I want to do is answer the questions, who are we as a community of faith? Where are we going? And what do we think God might have for us in the future? And I just want to tell you that the answers to those questions involve every single person, not only in this room, but that calls Emmanuel Faith Church their home. See, for over 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been gathering in these communities that we call the church. But what's the point of it all? I mean, why did you get up this morning and get dressed? And come to church. Why are you a part of this thing if you're a part of it? And maybe if you're not a part of it, you're going, I'm wondering the same thing, Ryan. 
Like, what's the, what's the point of all this? What do, you, what do you hope to get out of being a part of this community? And I think over the last few years, the question, what's the point of the church, has started to become all the more pertinent, primarily because of the way that the church is under attack, both from within, but also from the outside. I mean, I don't know if you have noticed this, but the church is often perceived, the narrative that's spun is that, The church is on the wrong side of history. The church is a straitjacket, a nuisance. I think it was captured maybe best by the 2008 ad campaign that the British humanist organization ran on the side of buses where they put signs that said, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. I think that's the way that people outside of the church often think about the church. What's the point of it all? There's probably no God, so stop worrying and just get on with enjoying your life. And you add on top of that the erroneous perception that Christians are anti-intellectual or anti-science and that they are getting pushed out of the public square and the vitality and viability of the church is negligible to those on the outside. But I don't think that the church is only under attack from the outside. I think it's also under attack from within. It feels like in some ways that as the capital C church, we've lost our center. I mean, I saw just last week that a church used most of its worship time to allow a politician to stump speech from their pulpit. And I went, that breaks my heart. I break my heart. I've seen some churches who have just gone all in on the social gospel. Let's meet the physical needs of people. But they mention very little about Jesus and what he has done to restore and to bring hope. And then on the other end of the pendulum, there's churches that just present a gospel of fire insurance. Avoid hell. Trust this message. And that's sort of the end of it. And then there are other churches that are just built around having a great show. A great event every week. Like if the music's wonderful and the message is decent and you walk out of this room feeling good, well, then they've done their job. And I think all of those should cause us to step back for a moment and go, yeah, what are we doing here? Like, what's the point of all of this? The church isn't a political organization. The church is not a social club. The church is not creating great events. The church isn't selling fire insurance. And if that's all true, then what is the church? Why are we here? And I think it's such an important question because if we don't get that question, the answer to that question right, it doesn't matter what else we get right. If we get that one wrong... It doesn't matter what we get right. And I think if we don't have a clarity around why we exist, there's two things that could potentially happen to us. One of them is captured by that old adage, and you can finish the sentence for me, that if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Aim at nothing and you'll hit it every time. It might be best illustrated in this 1961 comic strip by Brother Jupiter, where there's a little kid who's shooting arrows at a fence. And he shoots the arrows, and then afterwards, there you go, some of you just got it, afterwards goes and he paints the bullseye around the arrow. And I think sometimes we do this with church, don't we? 
We're like, hey, we're good at these things. People come for these reasons. People are part of the church for this purpose. Therefore, that's why we exist. And if that's not it, maybe it's epitomized by the story of Matt Emmons, who was in the 2004 Olympics. He was a rifle shooter, and he was in the lead, positioned for the gold medal. His very last shot, he laid down, he steadied his hand, he pulled the trigger, and he hit the bullseye dead center. And the light didn't go off. And then he saw a few moments later, the judges walking towards him, and he thought, certainly they're going to tell me that the light's just broken and that I've won the gold medal. Well, they came back to him and they said, Matt, you are in lane three. And the target that you hit is in lane two. And you get zero points for hitting a bullseye in the wrong target. And I wonder if as the church, capital C, we're in danger of hitting the wrong target because the bullseye at the wrong target is worth nothing. So, so here's the question. What's the right target? The leadership guru, Ken Blanchard, said it like this. Knowing where you're going is the first step to getting there. So over the next seven weeks, I just want to unpack where we are going. And like I said, if we get this wrong, it doesn't matter what else we get right. So with that in mind, would you open with me to John chapter 20? As we begin this series, this is us. This is us. Let me give you a little bit of context as you're turning there. A few days earlier, Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. The morning of the day that we are going to read about, Jesus was risen from the grave. He appeared to Mary and he commissioned her, go and tell the disciples what you have seen. Go and share with them the fact that I am risen. And then we pick up the story in John chapter 20, verse 19. Are you there? And I think what you're going to read, what we're going to read together is a beautiful picture of what it means to be the church. On the evening of that day, the, the, the day Jesus was resurrected, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. And when he'd said this, he showed, his, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he'd said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, this is John's version of what we call the great commission. It all happens on the same day as the resurrection, and I would argue it all flows out of the resurrection. We don't have a great commission if we don't have a great resurrection. Amen? So because Jesus is risen from the grave, everything changes. The world is being remade. It's being made new, and God's people are launched out to be part of the mission that God himself is on. 
And one of the things I love about this picture is, did you notice where Jesus stood? Where did he stand? He stood among them. He stood right in the middle of his people. It's the exact same thing that the book of Revelation says that the risen Christ does. He walks among the seven churches. He longs to be a part of his people when they gather together as his church. But Jesus stands among them in order to send them. And this is a great commission. It's a great sending. It's the mission of the church. And I don't know if you caught it, but in the very center of this passage, we see the mission. Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. This is verse 21. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, even so, would you just read this with me, church? I am sending you. I'm sending you. So here's the, here's the kicker. Jesus doesn't think that the point of the church is to just gather together as the church. Like if we envision this as the epitome of our existence as a church, this meaning the gathering of the saints together right now, that we don't have a biblical vision of what it means to be the people of God. See, because Jesus stands among the gathered church in order to send the gathered church. And the question is, how does he Send. How does he send? And that's the key, because he wants to send us as Jesus was sent. And don't you love, don't you love that the Father is a missionary God? That he longs to see hope. He longs to see redemption. He longs to see restoration. He longs to see people brought home. That's the heart of your Father, you guys. That's the heart of our God. And it has been from the very beginning. It's the reason that he commissioned and sent Abraham. It's the reason he commissioned and sent Israel. And it's the reason that he commissions and sends the church. Mission is at the heart of our God. And I think Christopher J.H. Wright, the great scholar, captured it best when he said this. And track with me on this. He said... It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world. Are we tracking so far? So so he's he's going, it's not so much that that God has a mission for his church. That's not the storyline. No, no, it's, it's as that God has a church for his mission in the world. You see that? That difference? Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. I think we can maybe say it a little bit more clearly like this. Before the church had a mission, the mission had a church. Before the church had a mission, the mission had a church. Meaning we can do a lot of time trying to figure out why we exist as a church. And this is our mission. And we're going to be passionate about these three things. But if we don't first realize that God was on mission before the church ever existed, we will miss the reason for our existence as a church. Let me go back to this picture, this illustration of the archer. I think oftentimes when we think about the mission of the church, we think about it like this. Like, like we're the archer and we are pulling back our arrow and our arrow is our mission. 
So we seek God and try to figure out, God, who have you made us to be? What do you want us to do? God, God what are the, our passions? What are, you know, all these questions that we want answers to. And then as the church, we pull it back and we shoot it into the world. And I don't think that's the picture that Jesus is painting in John chapter 20. I don't think that's the picture that the scriptures paint at all, actually. I think the picture that they paint is that God is actually the archer. And that the church is actually the arrow. That he's pulling back and he is launching into darkness, into pain, into sickness, into cynicism, into abuse. He's launching them into these things in order to be a beacon of light and a beacon of hope and healing. And so that's why it's so important that we get this right. See, our part in this is to be the arrow. And did you catch how Jesus described this arrow as designed to be launched? He said, just as the Father sent, what? Me, he said. That's, that's the way the church is designed to be launched out into the world. Now, doesn't that seem like a, a sort of a high calling? Oh, come on, you guys. I don't know what could be <laughs> higher than that, right? Yes, that's a high calling, and we're not always going to get it right. But the reason that followers of Jesus were called Christians in the first century was because other people saw this group of people living like Jesus. Christian means little Christ. Like they were doing the same things that Jesus was doing. They were bringing the same kind of hope that Jesus brought. They were living in the way that John described in 1 John chapter 2 verses 5 through 6 when he said, by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's what it looks like to be sent just as Jesus was sent by the Father. And so here's the thing, if the church exists in order to live sent as Jesus was sent, we might say that the mission of the church then is living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. We, we don't exist to have great gatherings, although I'd rather have great gatherings than terrible gatherings. We don't exist to have amazing small groups, although I hope that the life group you're in is life-giving and unbelievable. We don't exist in order to meet every single physical need that our community has. That would be impossible for us to do. We exist in order to help people, equip people, and launch people to live in their little nook of the world, living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. We ex exist to join God on his mission. By living in his way with his heart. That's why we're here. That's our bullseye. And as I think about this, there's really two components that I think are worth wrestling with. Number one is the way of Jesus, which we might say the actions. Or like, what did Jesus actually do? And then the second is the heart. Or maybe we say his attitude. What were the inner workings of Jesus' soul? So let me take this first. What did Jesus actually do? What is the way of Jesus? I'm so glad you asked that. Um, one of the best passages that I think we can go to is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. In fact, if you have your own Bible, you can flip back to the left just a few books and look at this passage with me. It says this. 
And he, Jesus, went throughout all of Galilee. And now it's going to tell us what he did. What's the way of Jesus? Here's what he did. Teaching in their synagogues. So remember, Jesus was a rabbi. He wanted to teach people not how to get to heaven when they die, but how to live right here on earth in the kingdom of God. Jesus wanted to teach people how to obey everything that he commanded. I mean, can you imagine going to a teaching where Jesus sat down on a stool as a rabbi and gave a seminar on how to let go of your anger? Or what if you went and heard Jesus teach about how to bless those who curse you? How many of you think you would go to that seminar? Or how to forgive those who have wronged you? I mean, these are the kind of things that when Jesus was teaching, he wasn't telling people to obey. He was teaching them how. How do we do this? It's the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's exactly what Jesus was doing. But he doesn't just teach. He also proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus was announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. That forgiveness is found in his name. That he, God himself, through Jesus, has reconciled us back to God. That we were God's enemies and he, through the cross, has restored us to sonship and daughtership and life in his name. Jesus was proclaiming all that God had done. And then finally it says, and he was healing every disease and affliction among the people. He was, Jesus cared about the whole person. And so he, want, he healed physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Jesus came and he brought wholeness wherever he went. And if we're going to live in the way of Jesus, man, I would argue that we need to teach people how to obey and we need to learn how to do it ourselves. That we need to proclaim the good news of the gospel and that we need to be a church that says people find hope and restoration and healing when they are a part of this body and then they take it into the communities that God has planted them in. But the second way, the, the heart of Jesus. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I've seen a number of Jesus followers who try to do all the same things that Jesus did, but it seems as though they missed the part that they were called to also carry his attitude. You're with me? That like to reflect his person to our world. I read a great book this summer entitled Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I'd highly recommend it, but in it he made this point. He said, in the four gospel accounts given to us, there's only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. That's really interesting. Only one place where Jesus goes, this is what I'm like on the inner workings of my soul. And here it is. If you're going, hey, Paulson, are you going to tell us where it is? Yes, I am. Okay. Here's where Jesus tells us what he's like on the inside. Come to me, he says in Matthew 11, verse 28. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am... Come on, Emmanuel Faith, let's say it together. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus says, if you want to know what I'm like on the inside, therefore, if you're going to live in my way and with my heart, we've got to carry this same ethos into the world Jesus places us in. He goes, I'm gentle and I'm lowly, or I'm gentle and humble. We might define gentle as 
the ability to endure hostility and criticism without anger or aggression. How many of you know somebody who could grow in their gentleness? Put your hand up. (laughs) How many of you are that same person? (laughs) Sure, and humble, which means that we're willing to look at ourselves honestly, admit that we're wrong, and listen to other people. See, I would argue that if it was at the heart of Jesus, it must also be at the heart of his church. If he is pulling us back and launching us out as the Father sent him, we've got to reflect his heartbeat. I read this story about this missionary in India. She was a doctor and she was doing great ministry, but people just weren't responding and she couldn't figure it out. And she had this translator that she was working through. And while she was extremely loving and caring and interested in the patient she was working with, her translator wasn't at all. Turned out he was arrogant and prideful and he actually drove people away. And it was this translator that actually stood in between her and the people who she longed to minister to. And I just started to wonder, God, how are we as your church, if we're sort of like a translator, this is what God is like. This is what God has done. Do we draw people in? Or do we push people away? I don't know about you, but I long to be the kind of church that reflects his way and his heart so that he gets all the glory through what goes on in our lives and in our church body. And if that's going to happen, which would you just raise your hand if you go, Ryan, I'd love to see that happen. Would you just raise your hand if you're with me? Okay. Um, then I think there's a few things from this passage that Jesus gave to his original disciples that he needs to give to us too if we're going to reflect his way in his heart. So back to verse 19. Look at the way that this reads. It says this, says this. Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So in showing him his hands and his side, he's showing him the, the, the nail piercings in his hands and the spear piercing in his side, the very scars that he got on the cross. The scars that, by the way, still existed in his resurrected body, that body that also, by the way, was able not only to be touched, but also to walk through locked doors. You figure that one out. Good luck, right? But here's what Jesus does, and I love this. He connects his scars to our peace. He goes, here's what I've done for you on the cross. Look at my hands. Look at my side. I took all the penalty of your sin, which is death. I bore it on my shoulders. I buried it in the ground, and I have walked out with new life in my hands. In me, there is peace. Friends, by his wounds, we have been healed. Jesus connects his scars with our peace because we receive peace through scars. And this is the first part of living as mission, living on mission with Jesus, is we have to recognize that we have peace. That word peace could be defined as the weaving back together of frayed parts. I got a great picture of this when um, my one-year-old dog, Louie, don't let the face fool you. 
By the way, I will just point out in the bottom left, if you're wondering, is that a dog birthday cake? It absolutely is that my daughter made for him on his first birthday. And if you're wondering on the top of it, is that a puppy patty from In-N-Out Burger? It is. It is. I repent. Yeah, it is. And, but so Louis won, which means he's really cute, but it also means he's on a path of destruction. And so when we left him out in the backyard one day, he had his way with our patio furniture. And we got home and there's stuffing everywhere. And his face looked like that. <laughs> what? What? And so we went around the backyard, picked up all the stuffing, and then in bed that night, uh, my wife has a needle and a thread, and she is sewing back together our patio furniture. She is bringing it peace, peace. <laughs> I, I think it's the exact same thing Jesus wants to do in your life today. By the way, I was strangling him. She was sewing, but I was strangling him. Yeah. It's the exact same thing that Jesus wants to do in your life today. And there's two types of peace that Jesus brings. The first is peace with God. I love the way that the Apostle Paul wrote it to the church in Rome. He said this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, meaning that we are forgiven of all of our guilt that our sin rightly incurred. And we are made right before the throne of God. He says we have, because of that, by faith, we are justified and we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, here's what you need to hear. If it wasn't for Jesus and if you don't have faith in Jesus, you are still at war with God. And I'm just going to say, my money's on God. Right? You're, you're still at war with God. Jesus would say in John chapter 3, verse 36, that we're under his wrath. We are going against the grain of his ferocious love. But because of what Jesus does for us, God weaves back together the frayed parts of our relationship with him, bringing us back into right relationship with the author of life so we can live the life that God always designed us to live. But it doesn't just end with peace with God. We also get the peace of God. I love the way that Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi. He said, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God. So notice, peace with God, but then the peace of God. Which surpasses all understanding. Will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He's putting us back together, not just in relationship with God, but on the inside. Restoring our soul, healing our pain, putting us back together. Those parts that have been wounded by words or actions of others, the parts that have been damaged by the bad decisions that we have made, the parts that have been hurting for years or decades, Jesus longs to bring peace. Please hear me. Will you just look up at me for just a moment? If you are going through a season of the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus sees you today and he longs to bring you peace. He longs to. Put back together your frayed parts. Will you cry out to him? And I love that in this text, peace is something that we receive. It's not something we earn. It's not something we coerce out of God's hands. It's not something we beg for. It's just something that we open ourselves up to receive. And it's this peace that is the first thing, the first step towards living on mission with 
Jesus. But here's the second. Here's the second. It says, and again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Do you think it's sort of important? Okay. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, would you just say this with me, church? Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a picture, I think, of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God breathes into Adam and he awakens him to life. This is a rebirth. This is a disciple's coming alive in a completely new way. They're being born again to be in the family of Jesus and to serve him faithfully. And here's what we see. Not only do we have peace through scars, but we have power through spirit. So please hear me, it is impossible. It's not just difficult. It is impossible to live the life that God designed us to live if we don't walk in the power of the Spirit. And I think we settle for less than God wants us to receive and walk in because we struggle with, God, how do I really receive power through your Spirit? But if we go back and we just read the scriptures, this was central to the mission of the early church. I mean, the apostle Paul would say to the church in Corinth, he said, I don't want your faith to rest on human wisdom. As if to say, I don't want your faith to rest on a great sermon. I don't want your your faith to rest on persuasion. I don't want your faith to rest on reason. I want your faith to rest on a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Meaning, if you put your faith in something, put it in the fact that God is real, that God is at work, that God is restoring, that God is healing, that God is awakening dead things and making them alive. Put your faith in the fact that God is on the move, is what the Apostle Paul says. The power of the Spirit, through healing, through conviction, through revelation, is the very thing that validated the message of Jesus. So, Would you invite me to ask you a few questions? Just just sort of open yourself up. Would you just wrestle with this for a moment? When was the last time you really relied on the Spirit of God? I mean, really. Like stepped into a conversation going, God, I'm going to bring up some things that I, I know in my own power. I don't have the ability to go there with this person, but I trust that you do. So I'm going to step out. God, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself out there believing that you are going to come through. Or maybe you're not in the way that I want you to, but I just so long to walk in your spirit. When was the last time you prayed for an opportunity to share your faith with somebody? And then stepped into an opportunity that the spirit brings. When was the last time that you prayed for somebody to be healed or to be set free from something that was going on in their life? We're just in faith. You prayed, God, would you move? Would you work? We got, we got um, we, our elders prayed over somebody a few weeks ago and got a note back just this last week saying, God has restored and God has healed. Praise God. And when, when was the last time? When was the last time you asked the Spirit to guide you in the course of becoming more like Jesus? I mean, I know it's easy to beat ourselves up 
and to go, gosh, I did that again. I said that again. How long am I going to wrestle with this? It's easy to beat ourselves up, but the invitation from the spirit is, will you partner with me in order to become something new and something different? So instead of just beating ourselves up, what if we said, Jesus, would you teach me how to become a person that's able to let go of my anger or let go of my lust or to let go of my cynicism and bitterness and to forgive? God, would you teach me how to be that kind of person? When was the last time you saw the spirit's power in your life in helping you become more like Jesus in a very real everyday way. See, I'm convinced that we can experience the presence of Jesus in beautiful ways as we gather for worship. And I hope you do. When we sing together, when we learn together, I hope you sense that Jesus stands among us. We can experience his presence when we gather together in worship, but friends, you will experience his power when you live on mission. So we've talked about peace through scars, power through spirit, and then finally there's this really weird last verse in verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven, which by the way, how many of you thought Paulson's going to ignore that, isn't he? He's not, he's not going to talk about that. I'm not going to ignore it. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, on the surface, doesn't it seem like, well, it's the church then that forgives sins. And and, and indeed, there are entire systems that are built around this. In order to be forgiven, you've got to be prayed for by the right person so that you can be forgiven. The only problem with that is the rest of the Bible. Okay? And I think, I think that Luke is a little bit more clear when he says that repentance for, sin, for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. We know it's clear from the scriptures that no one can forgive sin except God alone. That's Mark chapter 2. We'll actually talk about that a little bit next week. But here we see that the church is called, disciples are called to preach the forgiveness of sins that is found only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. But it is part of our commissioning that we find our purpose through our sentness. Purpose through sharing this message. Purpose through proclamation. Purpose through living on mission with a God who is on mission himself. We exist to tell the good news of what God has done for the world through Jesus. Forgiveness of sin. Awakening to new life in him. And abundance as we follow in his way with his heart. You know, one of the things I love about living in California is that you can travel up and down the coast and you can go check out a bunch of missions from the Catholic Church. My, I think my favorite is in Santa Barbara. I mean, they're, they're beautiful. Now, let me be clear. They got, in my opinion, my humble opinion, I think they got some things wrong um, theologically and even methodologically, but I think they got the verbiage right. When they planted a church, they didn't call it a church. They called it a mission. You know, Pastor Savon told me that when a church is planted, a Protestant church is planted in Mexico, even today, they still call it, they call it a mission. Because it's set up as a beacon of hope, a beacon of light, an outpost for the kingdom of God that people might hear about the good news of Jesus. And I think the terminology is right. Friends, we are a mission. This is us. We are a mission. 
And our mission is living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus because we are sent, pulled back like an arrow and launched out, sent just as Jesus was sent by the Father with his same actions and with his same attitude, his way, his heart, in order that we might go out carrying his message for his glory and for our joy. And we do that when we receive peace through scars, power through spirit, and purpose through being sent. So what if, friends, what if every single person who called Emmanuel Faith Church their home knew that they had a part to play? Not just coming and sitting in a seat, but being launched out in his name sent into different nooks of society and vocations and families and neighborhoods in order to bring the good news. What if we as a church community started taking really seriously the calling to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus? I love the way that author Sky Jathani put it when he said this, if we want the culture to take Jesus more seriously, maybe we should try it first. What if we embraced and held on to the promise of the peace of God and peace with God. What if we said, we're gonna be people who receive that kind of peace. And what if we believed that we didn't exist just to gather, but that we exist to gather together, to allow Jesus to walk among us, to breathe on us as we gather together, and then to send us out in his what about you? What about you? Remember, everybody's a part of this. If you don't live into what God is inviting you and calling you to do, we will never be who God is calling us to be together. So what does this look like for you and for your family? What would it look like for you to be one of those arrows in Jesus's hand that he pulls back and shoots into the chaos and into the pain and into the darkness and into the hopelessness and despair, what would it look like for you to say, I want to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus, sent on mission with him. See, friends, God is on mission in his world, and he has graciously chose us to be a part of his story. So what do you say? What do you say? At the end of every single message this, during our series, I'm gonna ask this question. I'm gonna ask you to finish a sentence. This week I will. Because here's what I've noticed, at least for me, that it, it's easy to come and, and listen to a sermon and sometimes walk out going, gosh, I really liked that sermon or gosh, I didn't like that sermon or I think he could have done this better or I think he could have done that better. But it's a lot harder to walk out going, this is what I sense the spirit inviting me to do this week. And so I just wanna invite you to ask that question. God, what do you want me to hear? And this week, God, what, what are you inviting me to do in response? The, the scriptures call us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. And maybe this week you sort of journal 
in the evening and you go, Lord, here's the ways that I think I lived in your way with your heart today. And then here's some opportunities that maybe I missed. And, and maybe you start to prayer walk around your neighborhood and you just pray for conversations to start and relationships to form and do it at the same time, uh, around the same time every day. So you start to meet the same people and just pray, God, would you allow me to speak into their life? God, would you maybe, maybe in the course of time, could we start a discovery Bible study where we had these people in our home and told him about Jesus and just let the scriptures do the heavy lifting. God, 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 would you do a work in our neighborhood? Maybe you could prayer walk like that. That's what I do around my neighborhood. Maybe you could invite somebody to come back with you next week who needs to hear that the church is a hospital. Maybe, maybe just maybe you take a step of obedience today in like the next 15 minutes and get baptized. You say, I'm a follower of Jesus. He commands us to be baptized. I've never done that. I'm gonna take that step of faith today. This week, I will. Jesus, thank you for this beautiful calling that you've given us, not to have a mission as a church, but to be a mission. May we be people who live sent just as you were sent. that people might find peace with God and peace of God, that we might receive it first and that we might bring it. God, help us to walk in your spirit with your power. That's the only way we can live in your way with your heart, your actions, your attitude. That's the only way. And so Lord, we're wholly reliant on you. And Lord, our prayer as a church body would be that we would start to see your hand move and work in ways we never expected far more than we could ask or dream or imagine. Uh, would you draw many who are far from God to you, please? Would you make your name great in our midst, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.